Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Wine pour? Wine pour? Wine pour? Uh, wine pour? Boom. Boom. We're good. I'm not really sure what that means. We're Are we good? This is, no, we, we already got it. I got yours. Oh, you did? Even with the uh, sound effects. Wow. It sounds like you're in a tunnel. A tunnel where they're... A tunnel of love. In this case, <laughs> it was the tunnel of Rossi, 2017 Rossi Hommage Blanc from... Uh, 16600. Impossible to say, harder to remember. Winery 16600. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Mike Dan. Oh my God. This is guestless, Johnless Winemakers Podcast. Uh, I'm Sam Kateri. We have Brian Casey at the controls or Somewhat. or out of control. And Bart Hansen hosting us here at Chateau Hansen. The house of the monogrammed soap. Yes. <laughs> did you? I saw. Uh, did you get uh, did. Elaine her soap? Yeah, we gave it to okay. her um, when they did. The, when Sam had the tasting, her little adutet, adutet debut. Yeah, say that five and, uh, and she was excited to have it. Three bars, you know. <laughs> Three bars. She's, you know, single lady. Her kids in Bali or yeah. the Caribbean. You know, she, three bars of hand soap will go a long way. And I mean, uh, that bar, the Hock Waka Waka. That bar in our um, our uh, guest room has been there for a lot of years. Right. Well, just is a uh, because your guests don't wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. Apparently, <laughs> we've I determined never, that uh, yeah. to be true. Right. right. Don't touch those controls. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are on uh, June twenty seventh. We're past the solstice. <clears throat> past the solstice, like summer's flying by. Um, My grandmother, the uh, elementary school teacher from San Francisco, would always say the day after Fourth of July. Well, summer's over. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, she's I mean, a school teacher. I think it was like you know by August she's back to work. But I can't believe it's almost Fourth of July. Yeah, I mean, it, we've it, this has been a kind of a whirlwind for us. Dane has been uh, uh, very busy, which essentially just means I'm driving a lot more. Um, and Brian, you know how yeah. that goes. Bart um, Uber. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, Brian, you got an empty glass over there. Yeah, uh, you so, know what? I I just had some of the homage blanc, and I'm wondering if I want more. Oh, that's really, what the homage blanc does to you. I like that stuff. <laughs> Down that way. Yeah. We have several bottles of wine open. Front. Sorry to interrupt your no, no, that's all right. Dayton's summer update, uh, but we have a bunch of wine open in front of us. Um, so I'm pouring at a restaurant in town at, uh, for the for the management. Hopefully they'll buy everything in an hour or so. So I brought everything that I bought six <laughs> bottles of Sam's Tasting yeah, House. I, I want to know, I <laughs> know how long you've been waiting for that list because. To get on that list because I'm waiting my turn at that same place. Well, show up at 3:45 right after me. <laughs> oh, by the way, here's Bart Hansen and Dane Sellers. I actually have uh, somewhere to pour for somebody at four o'clock. So, um, yeah, maybe our paths will cross this again is, here. You know, selling wine. It is kind of selling wine season. Although I think we're a little bit in between the buying season. I think people right. have bought for summer and they're starting to think about uh, fall purchases. Right. Um, so at least that's the sense I'm getting. What was it like with uh, Rosé, Sam? For when did people start putting in orders for it? Seriously, you know, I, I don't do very much wholesale on the Rosé. Oh, um, we're kind of doing a little bit more, but um, you know, the people who bought Rosé wholesale um, bought it in April. Yeah, you know, basically, which is when we bottled and labeled everything. Um, that includes the the kosher. Um, the sixteen six hundred and the Adutet. Um, you know, uh, I think the day that I labeled it at my commas, I delivered Todd Jolly his um kosher rose. Wow, magnums label still fresh, fresh, still hot off the press. I, I think it's interesting because the wax hadn't dried yet on top of the bottle. <laughs> yes. I think it's interesting because you know, Todd. It, some of these things are all driven by um these rose parties or rose tastings. Right. You know, Todd's was about a month ago now. Um, so he had his in before that. I've been going up to Bottle Barn to check inventories up there, and 
you know, they had yes. certainly had like, some check inventory. Check inventories. Bottle barn. <laughs> check my inventory um, of Miss Cow before I go to the bottle barn. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the, the only good thing or bad thing about the bottle barn is I don't take my American Express card. Well, like I said, I always wonder did I did I buy more bottles than I sold since the last time I was here? And I typically always buy more than I have sold um, there. But at any rate, um, their rose um, display has tripled um, in the last couple of weeks. So was it two weeks ago when, that I poured at yeah. the, the Bottle Barn Rosé party? That, in that must Rose. have been really, for them, at least at least in the store display, that must have really kicked off yeah. um, what they were doing. I mean, there were rows and rows and stacks of rosé now. Um, pretty impressive. I have a couple pictures I'll, I'll post. They got a lot of the good stuff too. I mean, they got the uh, the Chateau Moussard. If you want to mm-hmm. get uh, cool rosé from Le- Lebanon, Lebanese rosé. Yeah, <clears throat> and they have the two different tiers of it. You, or they did last year. I haven't I haven't been in in, um, in a in a few weeks, so I haven't seen this. Um, there was one rosé um, selection, and they one, got the Bedrock Odolulu. I know. Yeah, it was there. I want to pick up there. Um, uh, Casey um, Graybill's Grenache Tista rosé of um, Grenache is there. Of Grenache course, Tista. Sam, Grenache Tista? Grenache You know, you guys know me and my pronunciations. <laughs> Bart's a Sandinista. That's I don't actually know what that means. Yeah. Probably offended somebody. <laughs> Hopefully. It a, right. It was a great album by the clash. Right. <laughs> How we digress. Uh, um, and no. date ourselves. <laughs> but with the rosés, I remember it would when it, when I was um Buying for the girl in the fig, it, the French ones. It seemed like it, it was like earlier every year where they would. You knew like you guys were talking about the Domaine Tempier early. Right. You know, it it was like first. You know, you could just get it when it was released, and then it was like oh no, a month before you had to like reserve. Case. The and then it was like almost like December, uh, where you know, before that year where you had to tell the guy, yeah, 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 I'll commit to buying like you know five or ten cases or something. Well, you know, on the, the flip side though, uh, our our buddies at uh, Shen Blue. Um, just had on their Instagram that they had just bottled their 18 rosé. Right. right. Um, or maybe just labeled it. I don't know. But um, I know that it isn't available. The 18 rosé is not available stateside yet from Shen Blue. So, um, you know, th- that's a th- they're, the interesting thing about sort of the rosé sector is, is it continues to be insanely hot, hotter than we all sort of, in, you know, um, is that it's starting to stratify a little bit where you have, you know, the things that get bottled in December and January and show up in the market in February and March. And then you have things that are, you know, in barrel, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum, rosés that are barreled, barrel aged for six months and, you know, bottled and released later in the year that, you know, have sort of a different intent. You know, the, the uh, Chateau Miraval, um, the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. The only mm-hmm. thing that remains of their marriage is their partnership at Chateau Miraval with the with the parents. Um, are releasing a cuvee. They're like a special part of the vineyard. Uh, it's like two hundred dollars of two twenty a bottle for Chateau Miraval Rosé. So you know this is all things that ten years ago, five, three years ago in the rosé world. Um, just didn't exist there was you know there was rosé and it was all kind of about the same price and kind of came out about the same time and it was either of pinot noir or of grenache or of you know a blend of mystery whatever meat. you had mystery meat yeah, exactly <laughs> and now there's sloppy joe yeah. the- <laughs> and, and now john bon jovi has hampton water hampton water <laughs> yes but i think that's going to be a cool sector of the market if you're if you're a consumer to get good deals is people get kind of hung up on oh it's is it is it the recent release of the rosé? Right. Not so much with Sauvignon Blanc, but for rosé um, and Beaujolais. You know, people want the stuff where it's fresh, fresh, fresh. Right. So I think a cool little sector will be um, a couple vintages. The other night I had a 2016 Donham rosé, and it was freaking beautiful. Ah, you posted but, that on your Instagram. Okay. But I, I think probably some people will go, if they saw that on a wine list next to an 18, would right. probably pick the 18. So you could, you could probably get the 16 for a little bit less money and you know well and you know it's so interesting how people how people feel about rosé and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier before we went online is that um you know how the the parent grape of the rosé um how it affects the flavor and the color and you know there was an article that was out a while ago about you know what you can tell about a wine a rosé from its color you know um 
and, and what people's perspective is, you know? I remember where you the, wanted the something. The conclusion of that article is nothing, right? The conclusion is nothing, correct. It's just what you like. And some people, if you saw, gave them a purple rosé, they would they would turn their nose up at it. Wait, you know? we, saw, we saw a purple wine. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, there's actually one in my tasting room right now dropped off by podcast listeners, Pam and uh, Zane Dobson at Paza Winery outside of Auburn, who made a rosé of Petite Syrah that color-wise... I almost brought it today. Maybe I will bring it up. Oh. Uh, color-wise is, um, you know, Beaujolais Nouveau, or just a shade a shade lighter. Um, you know, it kind of looks like red wine sitting there in my cellar where it's dark and you know, no light behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and my anticipation, we haven't tasted it yet, but talking to them, it's dry. Right. Right. And 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 the thing about it is, is that the same person that wants the 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 purple rosé would look at a salmon colored rosé and turn their nose up at it and and say, well, that's obviously, you know, um, lower quality. So it's just a matter of your perspective. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought that people would think that there was a lower or higher quality based on the color. I think the misconception in the color is that color denotes flavor and sweetness that like the lighter colored rosé is going to be drier and the darker colored rosé is going to be uh you know more residual sugar and again those two things could not be more mutually exclusive um well and i I mean and that was maybe going back to the days of white zinfandel where you know it it wasn't rosé it was white zinfandel and they might be darker in color and they probably would have residual sugar um, you know, to look at this wine XYZ rosé from Artie Hajik. Shout out to Artie Johnson of uh, Staglin Cellars. I guess he's working with his wife's family there in Napa. And, and this is his project. It started out just rosé, just single vineyard rosé, like three, uh, three bottlings of single vineyard rosé. And now he's starting to expand into some red wine offerings as well. Yeah. And this is 100% Alicante. And um, it's it's got it's really interesting because it's got a certain uh, ro- true rose hue to it, but it's also got a little bit of that orange um, on it. Really, really pretty. Yeah, one. it's really pretty one. You know what, Sam and I noticed the other day we were talking about um, scores, and we were curious about rosé scores. Rosé scores, and we were looking up. You know, rosés that we could think of, or what? What was that list that Paul had taken us to? Oh, because we were on uh, well, uh, 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 Jeb Dunnick recently reviewed right. uh, sixteen six hundred wines and a handful of sixteen six hundred wines because we have too many for a single reviewer in a single sitting, um, and uh, the Audutet wines, and um, you know the rosé, and then the two red wines. Um, they were all because it was all pre-release. You know, score ranges um, means don't fuck them up, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't fuck up between now and bottling. Um, but you know, we feel you know whatever. These are scores, and some people will buy wine because of scores. Most people won't. Um, but we feel um, you know that the the Adutet Rosé received a lower number than we anticipated. Um, not that it was low. It's still rosé. It's 91-point rosé. Um, but then it was kind of like the discussion was, what is the ceiling score-wise for a rosé? And we went right. through as many as we could possibly think of on on Jeb's website. Um, and, you know, I think the highest was like a 91, maybe? No, there was maybe like a 93. But I think rosé uh-huh. and Sauvignon Blanc has, has had that happen also, like... You know, a, a really, really good score in Sauvignon Blanc is, you know, ninety three. But why? Right? But why if if the goal if like a Sauvignon Blanc is different than a Cabernet? So why is it that Cabernet Sauvignon is a more deserves a higher score for its varietal when if you're making something that's a completely different animal, it it should be scored on being a quality Sauvignon Blanc. You're right. It so seems then- like it's somehow getting compared to other varietals in some way so i mean that, it, could, that could be that could be but but the way it's sh- i mean this is a question for the reviewer right but chardonnay though i think 
will get high scores is is it just the use of french oak or and time so it's all that time and money if, spent but, into but the a, wine so is that how some you're supposed to get a higher score for a, it a sauvignon blanc is a sauvignon blanc and it so it should be compared against other sauvignon blancs we agree upon that so then the question is is what is that what is the 99 point sauvignon blanc right and i don't mean specifically what wine is it but what qualities yeah. does it have that are different than something else what qualities of rosé made you know are better than the than than the 91 in rosé i mean what is it is it the color is it is it not as expressive in the aromas is it you know yeah how do you make a hundred point rosé we're trying i mean that's what we were trying to do right with adutet and you know i also think that um in you know the first time that i tasted with that i tasted with jeb um, and I think that if he revisited it now, I mean, we were basically three weeks in the bottle when he tasted it, um, that it, I, I would agree that it tastes better now than it did then. Yeah. Um, you know, this now we're two months after that. Um, but my question is, is would he now score this on 94, 93, 94, I, you know, who knows? I mean, there's also the thing with, you know, a wine reviewer, is not a you know it's not a robot ump it's mm-hmm. um you know there's somebody who has feelings and emotions and and ego and pride and all those things would somebody go back and you know a few months later re-review a wine and give it a higher score than they gave two months ago I, you know you if the wine had improved you'd hope so but you know then you're also bumping up against those human qualities right, right? Human i mean i can i can remember reading reviews over the years in any number of magazines where it might say you know reviewed twice or tasted twice um i would Mm. say some of those times where it was noted was maybe because it was a low score and they wanted to make sure that the people reading it understood that it wasn't a bad bottle um that it was deserving of it that it was deserving of it but then i think i want to say that i've also seen reviews where it said you know um tasted again and you know acknowledge that it would tasted better or something like that so i i mean again you know wine reviews are wine reviews are wine reviews and and they're subject to so many things like even what's the wine the three wines before that wine in the lineup right right i mean um, because we all know that that your palate is affected by what you had before. But what if the Even what if the, the professional? What if the second time the reviewer went back that the wine tasted worse? Then do you expect them not to then come out and say, "Oh, we went back and actually we're scoring it lower"? Well, that's just it. I I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you can't have it both ways, right? You're in the Olympics and you do a you know your run down the half pipe or your figure skating, and you have two runs, and your first score is better than your second score. Do you get to keep your first score, right? I mean, I, you, know, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, I've I've heard these conversations or been listening to these conversations where they're like, "Well, you got to taste that again," you know, and where where I think winemakers or marketing people have contacted reviewers and. And said it, you know, and and then to go along with that, even in wine judgings, I've sat in on a couple wine judgings and, you know, a a wine judging at a at a fair or a competition is three, maybe five at the most. And if one of the three really likes a wine and judges it as a gold and everybody else says bronze, you know, sometimes that judge is can 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 sway the vote with his colleagues, you know. So it's all a matter of personalities and how passionate somebody feels about it. And I guess that goes to your point, Brian, is can someone change their vote? I guess if they're really passionate about it. They or can. if the Russians interfere, change all the votes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at the top 25 rosés of 2018. Number um, According to whom? Uh, yeah, according to yeah, whom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on. Uh, I'll, to vinepair.com. Okay. Um, Highly noted, reputable. Well, here's here's, here's the thing too. So first, I'm excited because I'm like number nine is Chateau Gassier, Esprit Gassier Rosé um, from France. I'm like, ah, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, Gassier gets shot at. But the number two wine is the uh, Jean Luc Colombo, um, and I remember buying that stuff for five bucks a bottle. It's super high production, right? So yeah, I don't know the source of that. Well, and, um, and you know that's the the other thing about any of this stuff um production numbers the way that the prices correlate to how much wine is made and what score it gets um you know the big guys skew you know to bring it back to chateau miraval 
Um, they just opened a facility on that property to make like 50, I don't know, 500,000 cases of rosé. And, you know, they're going to start in adding in some red wines and you have, you know, the brand power of of the the Perrin family, Chateau Bocastel. You have Hollywood money with, you know, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Um, some ego. You have some ego. You can, you know, you can, you can get a lot done with that. And you also are going to not necessarily buy positive reviews and coverage, but when somebody has that kind of brand power and and you know market share and and is that deep in you better believe that you're gonna see that all over the place you're gonna see you know decent scores and yeah you know and find a two hundred dollar bottle of rosé which is great sell as much two hundred dollar rosé as you can because <laughs> then my fifty dollar rosé is like well that's pretty reasonable by comparison <laughs> well and then I think another thing goes along with this whole thing is you know celebrity wines you know we had last week we had on the people from troika wines and their winemaker i forget his name now is the winemaker for Dwayne wade right you know and so and he's got i mean his resume is very good i mean he has a track record and so why do those people get the reviews they get well because if you're someone of note and you're going to start a wine business, you're going to go, you're going to hire someone right. with a reputation, someone that's going to help you get to where you want to be. Um, and, and so that goes along with it also. And there's there's newsworthiness there also. I mean, you know, Absolutely. I come becoming from the PR background, you know, you have Dwayne Wade making wine. You have Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt making wine. That's That's going to get clicks on your website and you know articles you know reads and people picking up the magazine if they're on the cover um well we talk about you know. stories selling wine i mean what better story when your your girlfriends come over for a <clears throat> your book club or whatever and you're opening up the wine and maybe you're not even if you don't know anything about wine you can say oh yeah this is a brand the brangelina wine oh the brangelina yeah, wine yeah this is the, the, you know, this and some adopted children is all that remains of their marriage. <laughs> hey, Sam, speaking of your PR background. Yes. What, 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 there was a little bit where you were doing some lobbying, right? Correct. Oh, I was right. Yes. Okay. I was I was a, a junior lobbyist. You know, I still had to wear a suit and tie, but they didn't, I wasn't, they weren't sending me into any important meetings. So, so like, I wasn't it, like, you know, rallying the Senate Majority Leader to try it, and sway it, a vote. It came out last week. It came up last week. And I said, well, when Sam was doing some lobbying and Brian looked at me like I was absolutely nuts. Yes. You know, in my past life, I was a coal industry lobbyist, <laughs> right. among other among other things. I thought he meant lobbying, like lobbying of grenades. Yes, <laughs> well, it's kind, kind of, of the same. Some of that thing. too. Some of that too. I ended up on NBC Nightly News. Quote: They like ambushed me and some. It was you know twenty two thousand eight, and we were. It was uh, the first time that Nevada had an early presidential election, primary election. You know, it was Hillary Clinton versus Barack Obama. It was it was highly contested, and all these candidates were in Nevada. So we were trying to go out, and, and I was I was uh, uh, what was the name of it? Americans for Bal- Balanced Energy Choices, which was the coal coal industry uh, <laughs> association that was our client. And I was trying to go, and we were trying to like ask questions of candidates at forums and. And, you know, going to senior centers and dropping off all this propaganda and NBC Nightly News showed up and put a camera in my face and asked me questions. And then the way that they edited it and put it onto television, um, my quote came right after the CEO of the association and directly contradicted him. Uh, So, you know, my um, my lobbying career was. Short-lived. I also was on two campaign statewide campaigns in Nevada, where a f- combined thirty-point loss. Uh, wow! So two, zero for two, fifteen-point losses, and so yeah. And then I came to sell wine for a living because you know, it's better for my soul. Oh, I think you're going to use some of those skills though in the cannabis industry, possibly, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, you know, I, that actually in between the the firm in Nevada and. Coming back to 16600, I, I was working for medical cannabis in Oakland doing kind of the same thing. And, you know, we're, yeah, we're, you know, the uh, Sonoma Valley Cannabis Enthusiasts is essentially a marketing and lobbying group and working on this, uh, the AVA or ACA right. uh, concept for, app, you know, Appalachian grown cannabis. And, you know, we have 
county supervisor candidates and you know tourism officials coming and talking to us it's and you know frankly working in a family business it's all politics it's it's all politics um but do you see i I just looking into this a couple days ago do you see a a time where people will rip out a Chardonnay vineyard because they can get a million dollars an acre for growing cannabis, but only 250,000. Yeah. I saw this floating around Twitter the other day. I'm going to emphatically and explicitly say, fuck no. Okay. Because the, the thing about a vineyard and, and you know, this is maybe, um, sort of de romanticizing it at the end of the day, a vineyard is a real estate deal. Right, you're doing major capital and infrastructure improvements to a piece of property that increases the value of that property. And you know, you have a half acre vineyard on your property or a fifty acre vineyard on your property. It's worth more than when it's not. A cannabis garden, a cannabis farm, is minimal infrastructure and it's a perennial plant, so or an annual plant. So at the end of the growing season, it's gone, and all you have left is a field. And but that you can grow another crop in. You grow any, yeah. But you could grow any. You just take a blank piece of dirt and you could grow a crop. Vineyard is, it's it's as much as you know. It is agriculture and it's a crop. It is an installation and capital improvement on a piece of property. And so if year to year, yeah, maybe you could make more money on an acre of cannabis than you could on an acre of Chardonnay. When it actually goes to selling that property, you're way better off having an acre of. Chardonnay than an acre of essentially nothing, which is what a you know. But if you've done be. ten years of making the million as and yes. you know what I'm saying, no, you've I, already I caught do, up I, to I that also, to that property value. At the end of the at the end of the day, you are um, farming, and so maybe one year you're going to make a million, and another year you're going to scrape by with you know five thousand dollars in net profits because it was a bad year, and then maybe one year you're going to lose money. I mean, yeah. so you know, I, I saw this flow, and I, you see this come up and you this um this falsified uh notion this you know red herring you know cannabis versus wine um that's just so it's contrived in a a lot of different ways but the this idea that people are going to start pulling out vines and planting pot if if napa county legalizes cannabis production is is as absurd as you know it's like it's like saying well we have this beautiful home that's worth ten million dollars, but if we tear it down and put up a Quonset hut, we're going to make more money because you can do things in the Quonset hut that make more money than the house would. But at the end of the day, what are you doing to that property? I mean, it's right. it's it's absurd. Yeah. So and so there's people on Twitter, and I, I sometimes I engage in those, but lately I've had other things to other battles to pick. Yeah. Shout out to my recent dust up on Twitter with Alice Farring. <laughs> <laughs> well, and don't you think doesn't it make sense though too with more people planting cannabis that prices will decrease so it's it maybe even stabilize or even look the same as grapes at some point um i mean i think that yeah you know the price of cannabis is still affected by its prohibitionary status that even though cannabis is legal in California it's only legal California cannabis is only legal in California you can't cross a border with it the same goes for Nevada Oregon Washington Colorado wherever um when it becomes if and when and you know knock on wood if and when it becomes a federally legal product that can cross state lines and that's really like at the end of the day what all of this Appalachian work is about um the idea would be that you know cannabis from prime growing regions has a higher value than cannabis from more marginal growing regions, just like, you know, luxury brand central Valley grapes are worth less than, you know, Napa Valley grapes. Um, that same sort of market stratification will come, but it's not there yet. You know, probably five to 10 years from then. Wow. I would say, but then also takes, it takes being able to transport legally over state lines, which you can't do. Right. Meantime, we're Shout making out a to lot FedEx of and money. UPS that have right. transported a lot. Of- <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I was curious about that because it's. I I look at you know I'm driving here. I'm looking at the rolling hills and I'm thinking, oh, there's a vineyard, and right next to it, there's a piece of open land where you could grow some cannabis. Like, right. You, well, you don't have you know, to rip something out to put something in. I mean, at this point, we're also in the middle still of the neighborhoods. I mean, on um, Old Adobe, there was that field that cannabis field that was in the middle of a vineyard 
and the neighborhood got together and you know it's gone now I mean, really? it's gone now yeah, yeah. The, they tore down the fence there's nothing planted in there right now because they tore out a vineyard to put in right. the cannabis and it was there for two seasons two growing seasons um, but now it's gone. Right. I bet you they didn't make a million dollars a year on that acre of cannabis. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it's just, um, and this is part of the problem. Um, you know, Sonoma County is an agricultural county. And in Sonoma County, you have a right to farm. So if I, you know, if I have land that's zoned agricultural, technically I'm allowed to farm whatever I want on there. So if it's cows and the cows smell your neighbors can't do anything about it if it's grapes and your neighbors are pissed off that you're spraying you know in the middle of the night driving tractors around your neighbors can't do anything about it cannabis is not treated as an agricultural product in sonoma county so if you have cannabis on your property and it smells or your neighbors are freaked out they think that you know the some criminal element is going to come and you know home invade everybody until it is um they can raise a stink um, or, you know, and you, so you don't have a right to farm cannabis in, in Sonoma County yet. Um, you know, these are all things that, are, you know, as this normalizes and people get used to it, you're going to stop hearing things about, you know, worries about cannabis replacing grapevines and all this, you know, mumbo jumbo. And it'll just be like, oh, Petaluma Gap pot versus Moon Mountain pot right. versus Carneros pot. This is, you know, uh, Mendocino County pot and, you know, Humboldt is the brand that everybody kind of has, you know, has the lockdown on all of it. Um, and you'll just start talking about it like agriculture, agriculture that inebriates. I mean, look, we have 17 bottles of wine in front of us. Um, this is agriculture that inebriates. Yeah. Um, I like what your dad said that time that for X amount of years he's had been growing um, everything he's grown has been an uh, inebriant. An inebriant, <laughs> yeah, for you know. fifty years, right? Yeah, for fifty plus years. Fifty right? plus years, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, part of it also is just the what people are afraid of. You know, it's like I know in Petaluma there was a neighborhood that someone bought a piece of property and they were going to put in a cannabis farm, and no one knew who it was that was putting it in. Right? It was this this name or this entity right. and you know this is a farming community that's used to knowing everything about everything their neighbors are doing and so there's a lot of got to be a lot of growth there and and people learning and figuring that part out also so i think a lot of it has to do with time you know well yeah at some because uh, i'm thinking yeah if i see a whole field but and we do we do have one by my house it's on petaluma, petaluma hill. hill petaluma hill we've got right. but it's all first it started off as just a uh chain fence then it was a chain fence with a wood fence around it. And then it became a chain fence with a wood fence with cameras on every corner. And then there became another chain fence around the wood fence around <laughs> the chain fence. So obviously there's that. That's the kind of weird part to me is that how can you I guess people are thinking people are just going to in the middle of the night come and come and chop all the plants down, come chop all your plants down. But, but what if there's good peaches? What if there's good grapes? Like at some point, don't you think that was a thing? For there, everything? No, there was a time that every avocado grove in California had security guards. Because people would stop and see avocados growing on the side of the road, and they'd go out and pick some avocados. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, a high value crop that is. You know, avocados are a lot easier to steal and use than raw cannabis. Right. Um, you know, I mean that's the other thing about it is you go and chop down somebody's pie plants in the middle of the night. There's n- your the amount of effort that goes into drying properly curing and preparing cannabis for you know use whether it's extract or you know edible or smoking it is is um you know people don't people don't get it that's the long game it's a long game right? <laughs> i want to get high tonight when you get high tonight i'm gonna go and <laughs> i'm gonna go down to petaluma hill road and snap a butt off that thing and go well, you're not you put can, in the toaster oven <laughs> right you know maybe the food dehydrator i've tried the these least. things <laughs> there, there's ways yeah yeah but it just seems like a funny thing. I think it's easier to just go to Mercy at this point, right? Exactly <laughs> right. Yep. And they're doing well. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I, I had this conversation with my mom today because she was taking her sister to Mercy to get some CBD um, oil of some sort. And the fact that my mom and her sister were having this conversation that they, this is something that... Your mom and, and your aunt. And my aunt, yes. Okay, your yeah. sister. Yeah, right. her sister, yeah. My, uh, my aunt um, was, you know, t- 
talk about people opening their minds to things. Right. I mean, just something they would have never been experienced around. But my mom was saying about she was so nervous about like, you know, if we go there, what if they come in and they raid us? <laughs> my mom's like, no, that's not going to happen. It's legal now. It's okay. There's nothing, you know. So it, it's it's just it's education and time. It really is. I know. People watch Will and Grace. All of a sudden, gay people are okay. Because right. I know him on TV. At well, least. there's that. Uh, there's a there's a cannabis dispensary sitcom on Netflix that's pretty terrible, starring Kathy Bates called Disjointed. Maybe that'll Disjointed. like start to okay. help to normalize. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I mean, it's worth getting high and watching. But other than that, <laughs> pretty <laughs> useless. Um, no, it's you know we're, we're there was a time when you came to Sonoma and you couldn't taste wine, right. Um, because it's, you know, this prohibition alcohol beverage that you can't have people just going around drinking it. And all of a sudden the step became appointment only, you know, tasting by Mm -hmm. reservation. And now there's 31 tasting rooms on the plaza and people are pissed about it because it's a tourism thing. Um, you know, there, it is truly not in the distant future that there'll be by appointment cannabis tasting. Um, and that will slowly normalize it to the point where, you can go to a grower's shop, a producer's shop, and and buy their product, um, you know, off the street, as opposed to going through this sort of, you know, needlessly um, complicated, convoluted dispensary system and all the rules that are around it. But it just takes a long time because there's still people who are voting who are, you know, your mom's friends who are afraid of whatever it means. Well, all the things that you mentioned earlier, you know, um, that's that's, that bad people are going to come and um, and ruin everything. So people that smoke pot to, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago were were outliers, were were not good people. Right. Is um, you know the old Fetzer property that I think Campovita took over yes. for a while, and then now it belongs to, to Flocana. Flocana, and right? Flocana is essentially a um, processing, plant. yeah, like a processing, but also house. like a retreat center, and um, oh, really? I think it's going to be used for training employees, but also to kind of schmooze um, clients. I mean, that's the thing that like a, a medical cannabis spa is what, I, and if I had ten million dollars and had to go and develop a property um you know a place where it's consumption it's edible you know dispensary but also you know massage and body work and a hot you know sauna and that whole like a spa you know a retreat center a resort clothing optional you got a bunch of dope smokers i'm thinking maybe not right yeah (laughs) (laughs) ever been to a dead show man keep those clothes on those people (laughs) Hey, you know, uh, speaking of um, all the wineries on the plaza, um, one that left of some friends of ours, uh, McLaren. Yes. um, Steve and Heather. Right. They've um, so they've evacuated their spot um, in Vine Alley and they've bought a house in Kenwood and have this old historic barn in the back. And I stopped by and talked to them. And they're tasting there, right? And they're tasting there by appointment. And it is spectacular. It sits right at the base of Hood Mountain. Um, uh, there's a uh, shuffleboard, um, uh, what would you call shuffleboard court? I guess outside, like like on the pavement, on like the you're pavement. in, yep. like, like you're on a cruise in, ship, like you're in Miami. Yeah. Okay. And then um, they took this old historic barn and completely restored it, and it's just beautiful. So, uh, folks coming out, um, be sure to add uh, McLaren to your list to go out. We and should visit go and it. we, should, you know, one of our very first podcast we ever recorded was in his old tasting room so maybe we should uh arrange to just go and hang out there and record an episode one day they they would i see steve every once in a while because he pours at the fairmont and yeah he told me about that new place and uh yeah it turned out really nice so i used to see him on the plaza all the time right so um and they do killer rosé killer sauv blanc and killer pinot and syrah yeah uh sam the uh 2014 dos limones is right on, yeah. right on point. Tastes this is delicious. Frequent. This is a, a fan favorite in the tasting room. You know, I have it pretty reasonably priced. Um, this vintage specifically. This vintage specifically. The fourteen, the thirteen was good too. Um, Fifteen, fifteen was such a light year that we blended it into our Sonoma Valley, which goes into you know almost exclusively wholesale. Um, Sixteen, seventeen, great. Um, it's this is you know the vineyard Dos Limones is the vineyard that um, 
40 years ago, Phil started farming organically in 1979. Um, and it was farmed there through then, you know, straight through. And we make Dos Limones Syrah as well. Um, it's but basically five miles due north of where we sit, probably yeah. about the same elevation. Yep. Um, because what are, what's our elevation here? 800, 843. This is a, a little bit lower than that. Uh, Woulda, shoulda, coulda, you know. 450. When I first started, Phil offered me some... Dos Limones. Dos Limones and... Really? And I think some Syrah also. And he I offered you time, Syrah from there? It was pre... It was pre-16600. Pre and I, you know, didn't have the funds, and I certainly wasn't going to, um, you know, agree to the... Go into, go into debt to... To Phil To the Godfather. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. Um... <laughs> So anyway, so I passed on it, and then all of a sudden, sixteen six hundred came, and it'll never be talked about again. Yes, Poof. there might be Zinfandel. There might be a Zinfandel available. Actually, uh, the people, one of the, you know, it's now a very um, French-like situation. There um, used to be owned by Myron Freiberg, who is the, also the person who saved the sixteen six hundred tasting house from demolition. Right, um, and the guy who challenged Phil to farm it organically, and then when he died. They started parceling it out, so their vineyard is now three different lots, although a contiguous vineyard, um, and one of the people who bought one of those lots decided that the place that he wanted to build his house was right in the middle of the Zinfandel. Um, <laughs> so we lost a chunk of the Zinfandel. Um, it was might have been the prime chunk. There's some better parts of it. Um, so there is. we get some. We sell a little bit. Uh, there's some Sangiovese there, which I'm still working on trying to get. Um, and Why, where does it this, go now? It's been it had been going to to Benziger and Imagery for a long time. Um, imagery doesn't it, I don't know if they bottle it as Sangiovese. They yeah, they have a, that Tusca Brava also. Yeah, uh, so um, it might have went into that. It might have gone into that. Um, yeah, it's not a t- it's four or five tons. Um, but this is you know there's definitely there's a people who listen to the podcast on a pretty regular basis who um, love sixteen six hundred Dos Limones Syrah. Who are gone? Could have been. They could have been your loyal. Well, they probably are your loyal customers anyway. Uh, they're all of our loyal. Yes, customers. they're all of our loyal customers. <laughs> but that's you know this is the Dos Limones Inf- uh, Syrah is always our first wine to sell out, um, and the the Zinfandel's right behind it. So um, it's a it's a good spot. It's a good spot. Bar, how come you don't do a rosé? <laughs> well, there was once a time when <laughs> there was once a time. Um, uh, you know, Sam had um, offered me some grapes last year. You know, for me right now, it's truly about having a place to sell it at the end game and um, and doing it right. And um, you know, I'm trying to just make wines from Sonoma Valley, without with the exception of the Chenin Blanc. Bart, you made Chenin Blanc, and, and, and that may Sorry. even change a little bit too. Um, and and it's just a matter of making another wine and finding the right grapes because I don't want to do it as a Saunier. To be quite honest, um, and so we'll, we'll see. Maybe you never know. All right. Maybe this year, things are changing constantly. Zinfandel rosé? Uh, probably not. Be fun. <laughs> leave that to Turley. Yeah. Leave Somebody that. else did the Zinfandel rosé. Uh, Petroncelli does a Zin yeah. rosé, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I'm still working on grapes for this year. So, and I may, um, well, I am most likely moving to a new, new production facility this year. So, um, that will open up more opportunities for me also. Okay. So we'll see. Uh, Speaking of grapes for 2019, the, um, prognication from the Rossi ranch is not as bad as previously reported in earlier episodes of the podcast. That's good. Um, thinking maybe like down 10 to 15% off of last year as opposed to off of, yeah, last year, which was yeah, huge, which was huge. So maybe Good. back to normal. Good. Uh, on the flip side, because um, I actually pulled my contract out and printed a copy and hung it on the wall because I was so excited. Don't want to make sure <laughs> it's hanging on the fridge next to some of Dane's homework. Right, exactly. <laughs> I have my contract for Rossi Grenache. <laughs> Sam, and it's signed. And it's signed. <laughs> You you posted something the other day with those scores with the Klein wines. Oh yeah, 
talk about that because what what, what was, what was it that caught your oh, attention? I, did I did I pull? I, I just I think I just sent it out to our little group text. Um, yeah, it, it it's, was it it's was single vineyard, old vine, Contra Costa County, Contra Costa County, like own rooted, um, Mavedra, Mataro, um, and Carignan, right? Carignan and and one other one, and it's something that you know you don't. When you see, unless you're at the Klein Winery, you, you're not seeing these wines. You know, there's limited production. It's it's you know fifty, sixty, hundred cases, um, old vine, mm-hmm. single vineyard, uh, and seventy dollars a bottle. Um, so uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting. Um, I'm I'm gonna track some down, and I'm actually gonna try and track down a member or two of the Klein family to come on and, and talk about them. Um, it was what I, I think one of the trade pubs that I read about a uh, Psalm journal, I think was what yeah. I read about it in, yeah. um, which is, you know, maybe someplace where sometimes you, you pay to play for some of your coverage, but I don't mm-hmm. think I didn't see any client advertising near the, right. which is sort of, you know, one of the, <laughs> the red flags when you read a wine magazine and you go, Oh wow, this has got some nice scores. And then you, you flip, flip the page, page and there's a big full adverti- page ad. full page ad for that winery. And you're like, Oh, um, <laughs> They're an interesting winery, though, because they're in they're basically in Carneros, which you think of Pinot Noir. Right. But what we think of them as is is Rhone heads right. because of all the land well, that they have. Fred is down one of the original Rhone rangers, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and because before they moved to Sonoma, they were really Contra Costa based fruit, you right. know. And then when they once they moved here and established the winery here, they obviously put in a whole bunch of vineyards and in the Petaluma Gap. And so now they're they've shifted to what grows better here you right. know and, and those are those things so. well they're actually they're up in the game on the pinot program so they're going to do like a higher tiered pinot Interesting. especially well, maybe this ha- maybe this goes along with what sam saw on the yeah. huh. on the um Rhone varieties also and you know then frankly that's the trend you know you read all this wine business doom and gloom um people are drinking less wine but what people are drinking and buying is more they're buying less wine, but more higher end wine. So necessarily, you know, spending isn't maybe changing a whole lot. Um, but people are, are definitely, um, you know, they're seeking out. And if they're drinking less of it, but they're drinking better wine. Um, so I think that a lot of the brands that, you know, made their bread and butter in one price point, you're going to start to see um, more expensive, higher end smaller lot bottling starting to to pop up um as as this sort of trend towards premiumization premiumization say that seven times fast um <laughs> continues right for sure right yeah the, 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 this is a fun little wine that that Bart started me off with today the vino verde it's got it's got some nice little sparkle to it how much are you paying for this at bottle barn i think it was 6 dollars and 23 cents so that's the key with bottle barn is even if you're buying more wine from there than you're selling, you just got to buy less expensive stuff than what you well, sell. Them. That's, that's exactly right. I bought I bought six bottles of this because this is kind of our come home and this have a glass. It's the Hamptons. This is yeah. uh, Di- Diamond, Diamond Day Diamond Day, Day water. water. Yeah. You know, it's nine and a half alcohol. It's sparkling. Um, Vino Verde. It's delicious. Totally. Um, That's kind of wine that you start your kids out on, right? Right. <laughs> if it gets warm, though, you got to watch out. You got to keep a cold. You got to keep a cold. It gets a little astringent. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. It's great. So, uh, Brian, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm texting. No, uh, I'm texting with the uh, uh, White Claws. Have you guys had oh this? Oh my god, this is this is a thing now. Insidious. Yeah. So, you know, club. Vanessa, who you call something else. Uh, I I, well, she showed up at the audio tab party <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff going around. And I, you know, I, I met her that day and I knew it was a name that ended in an A and I called her Amanda. Amanda. Uh, so so she's like, no, my name's Vanessa. So now Sam calls her Vamanda. Van Manda. Van Manda. <laughs> I'll never forget Van Manda, though. <laughs> so she's been she keeps telling me about this white claws stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then you got to try this stuff. And I introduced it to my mom. And now I go to Safeway and like there's two guys that their only job is to stock this stuff on the shelf she's like i got there and they were stocking and i was grabbing a bunch and, and they're like wine? oh we gotta go back and no, get no, more. no 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 this it is, is a- alcoholic seltzer water yeah some lightly flavored it's like Lacroix with booze in it right um i mean i i find this whole thing with millennials are drinking less wine okay it's a fact 
But the fact is, is that it's kind of like when a restaurant opens a second location in the same town and you split your, you know, you, you split your consumers and wine right now is in the past 10 years called has gone through this with, you know, craft spirits and craft beers, it both exploding right. and, and, and the younger people are being marketed to buy them very well. And they have a better identity than wine because wine is still stuck a little bit in our parents' generation. And I think that's where this is going. I mean, it's and and so now, yeah, sparkling alcohol water. Yeah, you know? and it's I a, mean, it's, it's no different than Zima, I guess, or or maybe right. it's no different than that sparkling vino verde. That, well, that's what that's know? what kind of made me think of it. It's yeah, it's just a lower alcohol and um, well, and what they love about it, and by they I mean the younger set, is that uh, it's like it's like super low calorie, no carbs, no right. no sugar. It's like natural <laughs> stuff. Um, but you know, another thing to, that thinks interesting with the whole canned wine program is that I think I was at Sonoma's Best. Todd, how are you out there? And someone came in and they bought some rosé in cans. And you know, he pointed out just kind of matter factually that one of those cans is a half a bottle of wine. Right. And and that's you know, so you're sitting on the can. beach, twelve ounce can. You're sitting at the beach having a bottle or a half a bottle of rosé. Um, at 12% alcohol, I mean, that's, that's, that's uh, quite a bit. Cause you can slam those just like you can slam a beer. Right. But the oh, beer is yeah. only at 6% Shot, alcohol. Shotgunning some rosé on the beach. That's right. Van Manda said just she was, Van Manda. she was, she was actually shotgunning one of those white claws. Oh my God. But white claw, I had a white claw and I could drink about a third of it. <laughs> and then I was like, this is. What was it? It was too sweet for you or it was just tasted it just fake? It tasted like crap. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Van Manda. Uh, it just, it, you know, I, I have find when drinking as, you know, sort of on that edge of millennial, um, getting marketed this stuff and taste this stuff, you know, the gluten-free beers, the the alcoholic seltzer waters, the, you know, things that are made with the point of being anything other than what they're supposed to be. Right. Um, there's weird shit that goes on to make those flavors, to make right. that get there, and... You'd sit with it for a minute, and basically what happened is my white claw came out of the cooler, and you're like, oh, this is cold and refreshing, and yeah, maybe it's got a little buzz to it, uh, but five minutes later, it you know, warms up in the sand yeah. on the beach in Tahoe, and all of a sudden you're like, God, this tastes like aspartame and tin yeah. right. and and butthole, and I'm not going to finish it. But that's like any sparkling thing. I tell the assistants at work when we're selling, when we sell Avion, Avion's kind of like that too, but when it's cold, uh, sparkling water. When it's cold, it's great. You can right. drink a ton of it. As soon as it starts to warm up, tastes tastes mineral like, like, metallic. Yeah, and, yeah it's yeah. salt. tastes like salt. Because it has sodium, right? Yeah. 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 But um, that's, you know, same thing with the wines. So, Right. Well, and you know, I mean, we've talked about this before on uh, with a wine that's meant to be served chilled, the better it is, the more it can handle coming to room temperature. Right. Correct. Right? That like a really good bottle of white wine, you know, Chardonnay or something like that. It's, yeah, sure. It'll taste great out of the fridge. But as it gets towards like cellar temp, 55 degrees, that's when it actually starts to taste interesting and taste good. Whereas if it's, you know, bargain basement Chardonnay. Sorry, Brian. Um <laughs> There you go. You know, if it was that screw top bottom of the shelf at Oliver's, you want to drink it cold because (laughs) shout out to Oliver's. Shout out to Oliver's. Return my return my emails. This is one one of those episodes where I got to test my brakes before I keep it real. Um, (laughs) When Bart decided to keep it real, yeah, fuck you, Oliver's. Oliver's, I still wish you'd bought Sonoma Market Oliver's. We are huge Oliver's supporters. We just need you to stock our friend's wine. Thank you. Right. Well, you know what, Sam, what you're saying, I think one variety or one market set than any other is rosé because rosé is typically served ice cold and it always tastes good. But as it starts to warm up, man, when they if they're not well made or not in balance, when they get warm, they can be nasty, hot and, you know, astringent and right and just. Out of balance. I mean, yeah. out of balance. And, you know, frankly, a lot of those rosés are as manufactured as a can of White Claw. Right. 
and can't right. you know and can't handle air and heat and 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 yeah. goes back to my reason for not wanting to make a you know um a a, a, a saunier rosé and and I and there's a bunch of them out there and I drink them and I understand that I I'm talking about my own winemaking skills right like I'd much rather approach it as a as a rosé project from the start so yeah well you know that's for what we do that's where rosé is going it's a rosé project it's it's adutet it's right. it's you know artihejic from <clears throat> from Artie Johnson where he's doing you know single vineyard intentionally made rosés um that's really good it's warmed up and it's still tasting really good yeah yeah Alicante too. It's that really that beautiful color. It's so it's, it's, it's so it, unreal looking. Right. Yeah. It's like that color is something you're not used to like, seeing. Psychotropical. Like Hawaiian punch, strawberry. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Uh, and doesn't taste anything like those things. It has no sweetness. It's got Alicante crunch to it. Um, and you know, Adutets is warming up and tastes delicious. Right. Oh, just a little feedback on uh, the people that did stop by from the restaurant um, that got to come by and, and taste the rosé that day. Everybody wants to be Isabel or be with Isabel. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, <laughs> if they were girls, they were like, we want to be Isabel. And then the guys were like, we want to be with Isabel. Right. Yes. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. And that works. The- good, good. All I can say is good luck to you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or ma'am or whatever. <laughs> If you can basically, if you can keep up with this, if you can catch Isabel, yeah. then maybe you have a chance. But I haven't seen it happen yet. So. Game on. <laughs> <laughs> Even my daughter, she was so great with my daughter. She didn't know who the heck she was, but she just came up and said, "Would you like some sweets?" Yeah. And she looked at her. She kind of looked her up and down. And was like, "Yes, I would." Yeah. She's like, "Come with me in the house." I like, watched my daughter walk away with a stranger. Yeah, right. Like, okay. <laughs> Hashtag parenting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as long as there wasn't a candy van out in front, she's okay. Right. <laughs> you know, it's sixteen six hundred. Anything yeah. is possible. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. You want to wrap this up? Uh, anything you want to talk about? What's going on out there? I noticed on the way up here. I mean, there's like clusters. Yeah, the, it's grapes. The, grapes are vine. grapes are forming. If you survived the rain and the heat, you have grapes, and they're turning into, you know, shaping up, sizing up. Um, you know, we're by the time this hits your podcast, I bet you somebody in Contra Costa will have posted a picture of Jesus, a grape turning purple. Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is the season marching on. Although, you know, it's um we've had we had three days of real warm temperatures. Um all indications and all sort of weather forecasts that I've seen cool summer, late harvest. Um, lots of fog, lots of fog, and you know uh, a vintage, maybe you know harkening back to 2011, where you know early got some bad reviews, but some of those wines are really great. It's it's you know lower alcohol California, cool climate California, which doesn't happen very often, but when it can happen, um, some people fuck it up, and some people do a really good job. So maybe a thoughtful year for winemakers. You yes, have to be thoughtful before you react. Yeah. Hmm. All right, let's get some uh, shout-outs to some of our friends. Todd Jolly, I think we already mentioned. And yeah. uh, uh, you ever want to do some tours here, uh, when you come visit, you can go to uh, winezulu.com, Z-O-O-L-O-O, and do a tour. And uh, what about our friends at Klein? Let's say, hey, we'd like to get together and talk about the um, some of your own stuff and the Pinot program. We, so yeah, we we want to we want to taste all those uh, wines on that. We, list. We'd like to taste your highest scoring yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, Rhone varietals, please. We want the fancy <laughs> stuff. Is only. there a tasting for that? <laughs> <laughs> we can just come in and try the stuff you make. We'll bring our microphones, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> please. <laughs> all right, and uh, uh, Bart, you're gonna head down and see Melanie. You're gonna stop on your way down south. Yep, and hook up with her. So that'll be cool because that'll be the first one of us to actually get to go see. What we've been hearing about. Yep. And then I, Brian and I are going to go. We I, I think we've been threatening to do this, but I think we're actually going to go out on the road here and get a couple episodes um, wherever we end up. And uh, and so that'll be fun. Try to maybe drag Sam along if uh, we can. Uh, I'm in. If, if can, we can convince you can Alice. Get me, I can go. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> get away from the baby for a right. bit. Cool. All right. Well, this has been The Winemakers. You can always go to radiomisfits.com uh, slash The Winemakers and download past episodes. And 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 go on and check out um, sister 
uh, sorry, Sam, uh, sister, um, episode, sister brother episode, the bike goes on. Uh, they've had some really good stuff there and got a really good one coming up. Um, that I'm really excited about. One of the best guests I've had, um, on any show is, uh, Kyle, who's the owner and chef from single thread, um, in Healdsburg. And to hear Maybe that we should guy go to talk, single thread and oh, record an episode, man, um, <laughs> the most expensive yeah, episode we've ever three <laughs> Michelin star restaurant, but but he's not one of those chefs that's a total dickhead that like yells at people. You can tell he's one of those one that inspires people to to do things. I thought you couldn't be a good chef unless you were a dickhead or yell at people. That's that's the what well, most people think. But you have to learn how to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> what it's all about. It is. It is. It's all about learning. Through how to your breathe. eyes. You got to breathe through your eyes. Uh, and another podcast on the the network, um, the cannabis podcast, which I'm forgetting what it called right now because it's the cannabis podcast but uh our oh it's on our network it's on, on our network yeah 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 um leaf out or i can't remember um but it's good <laughs> and I, I listened to a couple episodes so far uh, a good friend of mine sarah mitra payon who uh, works at the apothecary in san francisco and is engaged to my buddy jeff pearson of box set duo and the fall risk and further and a bunch of bands such a small world yeah i know is that pod, is dead, that um, yeah that podcast is it done here locally uh it's in the in, in the bay san francisco and the east bay okay um but cool if we can we're gonna do a little i think we'll do a little cross episode yeah that'd be fun um, see how far we can get into a podcast if we're tasting cannabis at the same a time. A podcast? A podcast, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, have fun at your uh, tasting. Tell everyone at EDK that Bart says hello. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll be buying about an hour with some right, Shannon. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, leave us a review on the, whatever it is you leave the review on. We'd like to see it. It helps us move up in the, in the standings um, so we can win that uh, best podcast of the year award. And at this point, everyone's walking out the door, so I'm by myself. So (laughs) thanks for listening to The Winemakers. We'll uh, look forward to talking to you next week.